Chemical City Double Reeds is a full-service double reed shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. Double Reed Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH, all caps, no spaces. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at chemicalcityreads.com. Specializing in the finest assortment of oboes, clarinets, bassoons, and their accessories, RDG Woodwinds serves musicians from around the world. Their employees are all professional musicians who have a deep knowledge of the products they sell. RDG's repair shop has an international reputation with a combined 100 plus years of experience among the five repair technicians. Plain and simple, RDG provides excellent products and fabulous customer service. Visit them at rdgwoodwinds.com. They look forward to working with you. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. March. What do they say about March? In like a lion, out like a lamb? Out like a lamb. Well, it's snowing right now. So we have the in like a lion part (laughs) down pat, at least in Washington. It's like a breezy 60 degrees here, a little overcast. Well, you can enjoy the I'll be laughing in the summer when you're <laughs> That's true. Melting I'll be away. hiding in my room like a vampire like <laughs> at the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so, we recently had some pretty fantastic experiences doing the University of Nebraska Lincoln Double Read Day. An upcoming, we are going to the Oklahoma City University Double Read Day. I also have an amazing Double Read Day coming up at Northwestern State University with Leah Forsyth, and I can't wait for that. And I just had the USM Double Read Workshop yesterday. So it is Double Read Day season, and we're back in person, and it's just Double Read Days all over were the double place. read days a thing when you were a student um when i was a high school student i honestly don't know i kind of wasn't into it enough that that stuff would have been on my radar mm-hmm. but when i was an undergrad at eastern was the first bassoonorama mm-hmm. which has become a big thing in like all of the pacific northwest like i think she's had maybe upwards of 60 bassoons at bassoonorama whoa yeah it's like it's the big bassoon event um i don't know how it's going to come out of the pandemic but yeah the first one began when I was an undergrad. So I, it was kind of cool. I saw this thing start from something, even the first one was pretty darn big. And then when I was at UW-Eau Claire, they had me back as like a guest start, alumni guest artist mm. and everything. So uh, yeah, college age, I guess, was around the time they came on my radar, these geek gatherings. Of, uh- <laughs> What about you? Did you attend any? No, I didn't attend any. I didn't hear of any. But you know, our hosts, our amazing hosts at Nebraska, Nathan Cook and Bill McMullen, who are both dream humans. um, (laughs) Bill told me that they've been doing double. Well, Nathan is has not been there for 30 years, but Bill has been doing double read days at Nebraska for 30 years. Yeah. I mean, some of them are very long standing. I remember Mm -hmm. um, Michael Burns and Mary Ashley Barrett uh, told us that theirs is like super long standing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's tradition. Lots of people in their region have been going for like, you know, since they were middle school up through college age. It's pretty awesome. Like, I wish I had done that when I was younger. Well, yeah. How many of us were like the only one? Yeah, that's the point of them. You're the only one and you don't know anyone else who's doing what you're doing. Or in order to find those people, you have to join youth orchestra. And like you, it's not until college that you really become close with people who like love what you love. So like, I look at these middle and high schoolers who are like meeting each other. I'm like, this Mm -hmm. is magic. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> no, it's super fun. It's super fun to geek out. Um, at Nebraska, we did a live show, um, and we're gearing up to make that available to y'all in some format. Stay tuned. But oh my gosh, it was so much fun to even just play those games with all oh those inside jokes and. <laughs> Oh man, we just had the time of our lives. It was so good to be in person again. Can I tell you my favorite moment from yes. Nebraska Double Read Day? So it was when we were playing Heads Up slash Bells Up and we <laughs> had pitted the oboes versus the bassoons and it was super high stakes. It was like whoever wins this game has earned the title of the better instrument. <laughs> And unfortunately, the bassoons won. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just and, saying. You know, it was great. It was so much fun. And then, but this little, um, I think she was a sixth or seventh grader. After it was done and they were transitioning to double read ensemble rehearsal, she comes up to Dr. McMullen and she goes, How could you? <laughs> How could you? Well, it, it was you? <laughs> it was only afterwards that I realized. So um, how we play Bells Up, it's like Ellen's game, Heads Up. And so one describes and one guesses. And I was like, you could argue if the points go to the person who guesses the best or describes the best. So it was really like an intangible win slash point distribution. It was but nonsense. It was absolute <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> we are not like into the whole competitive aspect. No, we're like, yay, participating. Yeah. You're all winners. together. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you mentioned you just had USM Stumble Read Day. How did that go? Oh my God. It was great. We had like, uh, so in addition to all of our students, like USM students, we also had um, almost 30 students join us which for this area is remarkable um it was so great like um it was open to middle and high school oboists um so we had a lot of beginners a lot of intermediate students and um for the master class we basically I used it as an opportunity to be like, this is what a masterclass is, you know, mm-hmm. you know, this is how a masterclass would work. This is what you're supposed to get out of it as a listener or a, or a participant, but not a performer. And then I had our guest, Rachel Messing. So it was Rachel Messing and Scott Poole from Texas A&M Corpus Christi. They were our special guests for the day. And, uh, Rachel like posed as my student so we could demonstrate fundamentals like embouchure and breathing and hand position. And it was great. Actually, that's a fantastic idea. Thank you. It, well, like as much as it's cool to be like we were saying among a bunch of other oboes and bassoons, like doing the same thing you do. I, I always come at it from my introvert perspective of that can also be a little intimidating yeah. to be in a new environment, be afraid of what you don't know, mm-hmm. be afraid of looking like inexperienced mm-hmm. or whatnot. And so that idea of like teaching each other so they can see how it goes to remove that vulnerability. That's genius. Thanks, I love that. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then Rachel uh, did a presentation on the history of the oboe, which was totally fascinating. And, uh, you know, the format of like more of a classroom lecture was more familiar mm-hmm. to the younger students. So mm-hmm. they were totally into it. And I got to say my favorite thing about the whole day is I had asked my college students to like really integrate themselves with the younger students, like I didn't, I didn't want to see college students grouped together. I wanted to see them talking to Mm -hmm. the younger students. And I'll tell you what, they stepped up in such a big way. They made me so proud. I could have cried. I was like, (laughs) you go sit over there. You go sit over there. Go to, you're his buddy. You're her buddy. You go over there. You did it. And they did it. And they made such a huge difference for these little kids. It was amazing. It was amazing. I was so proud of them. So at this point, between hosting and attending and being guests at, between the two of us, we've done a lot of double read days. We're so happy about it, too. 
Yes. And if you want, if you'd like Double Read Dish to be a guest of your Double Read Dish, we really want to come to your school. Double Read Dish <laughs> at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> we want to oh, come so, to everyone's school and go have fun with everyone's people. What are some like favorite memories of being at a Double Read Day that we can share? So at my Double Read Day yesterday, one of our participants was a beginner oboist, like within his first few months of oboe playing was super scared. You know, I assigned him a college student buddy to like help him throughout the day. He was like a totally just like really intimidated, but he had a great attitude and he went and he tried everything anyway. And we had um, Chemical City Reads come as our vendor and they offered these great door prizes. So we had $25 tour, like gift card toward a bassoonist and 25 to an oboist. And this little kid won the door prize and he got to buy his first read case. And That's swab. awesome. <laughs> and my heart melted. <laughs> he so was like, cute. what should I get? I was like, you need a read case. <laughs> yeah. Throughout those common cases. <laughs> um, I think one of my favorites would be when we were at the University of Florida double read day and it was at the end of the day and we were doing the double read ensemble and they had us play an arrangement of uh, ABBA's Take a Chance on Me. Oh my God. ABBA, right? Yes, I think so. And Shannon Lau and Leslie Odom, like <laughs> they were like, okay, I don't really care about conducting this double read ensemble. They like walked around the ensemble <laughs> singing the song at the top of their lungs and like had this like little skit where like they they had divided up the lines and they were like singing like we were their backup band oh and my I god that was so great it was a, a ton of fun it, I <laughs> that memory brings such a smile to my face <laughs> oh my god yeah that's incredible so one of our first places that ever had us out was Georgia State. And we were staying in an Airbnb. We were like trying to save as much money as possible. And so we were staying in an Airbnb that was like outside of Atlanta. And Georgia State is like in the heart of downtown Atlanta. And I remember we drove in and completely lost. I don't know if we weren't using GPS or... I have no memory of this. But... Yeah, we like we took the wrong exit. We got completely lost. And then the parking for Georgia State, it's like city parking. And they have like, okay, this parking garage is like purple. <gasps> oh, now I remember. And they're like, go to whatever it was, Blue G. And we went and it was like blocked. There was construction. And we were like, wait, where do we go? And we were trying to pull up a campus map on our phones while like driving around, but it's like a city. It's like city traffic, city. even when you're on city, campus. City. And so we were like, okay. And we just found some like random place to park. And then one of the Georgia state, I don't know if it was an oboe or bassoon, but we saw their case and we were like, Hey, you, you, you look <laughs> you, like you're holding an oboe. <laughs> you look like a double replayer. Where are we? And where are we going? And they were like, uh, you're kind of far away from where you need to be, but follow me. And like, <laughs> And I remember Laura, our host, was just like, what is happening? What is wrong with y'all? We were like, eh, sorry, we probably shouldn't have looked at the map ahead of time. We thought it would be fine. But at Georgia State, we didn't get to do a live show. Where was our first live show? That was definitely at the University of Miami, Ohio, Bassoon Day. Oh, that's right. I drove up in a snowstorm. Actually speaking, my SEMO double read day was the day before. And oh, so I yeah. did my double read day. And then I drove up through a snowstorm to get to Miami of Ohio. Oh, no, I remember that. <laughs> and I remember that was when Becky was living in Michigan. So she drove down and met us there. And I was like, my wife. We had a really good breakfast. I remember that I breakfast. I remember that too. Was it like a Bob Evans? Yeah, maybe. Something like that. You and me love a good, grubby, gimme diner a breakfast. Coffee the size together. of my head. Gimme a gigantic cheesy omelet. And I'm happy as a clam. Yeah, we're not like bougie breakfast people. Bob Evans, IHOP. We mm -hmm. we visited the Lincoln IHOP when That's we right. were there we recently. We did. 
do you remember when we walked? So at our first live show there, we were having a moment backstage. We were like, oh my You're God. You're getting precious. <laughs> I'm so proud of us. This is such a big accomplishment. We're so happy. And like, who knew that we could do this? And then we walk on stage and I immediately walked into a chair. Yes. And then <laughs> Keith Bunky came up for his segment and he looked at our, our logo, the old logo, oh and was God. like, the bassoon's tone holes are on the wrong joints. And I was like, oh God, I've definitely <laughs> never noticed that before. We're, we had some growing to do. That's okay. Consider buying your processed oboe and bassoon cane from those friendly folks over at Barton Cane. Processed with care and precision for your everyday reed making needs. Take the pain and injury out of reed making by letting Barton Cane do the hard, repetitive, boring stuff. Free up time for practicing happy hours, hikes, baking, and spending time with friends and family. Barton Cane, here for you. Visit www.bartoncane.com. You're a distinct player with your own musical gifts and style, and we believe that your supplies should reflect that. At The Joyous Bassoon, we offer bassoon reed tools and accessories such as drying racks, soaker cups, keychains, earrings, and more. Choose from products readily available or submit a custom order. If you can dream it, we can make it. The Joyous Bassoon, products as unique as you. We are welcoming Marissa Oligario, Assistant Professor of Bassoon at the University of Arizona. Welcome, Marissa. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. And we always start by asking how you got started on the bassoon. So can you tell us your bassoon origin story? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Um, So like many bassoonists, I started on the clarinet. Um, I started on the clarinet in fourth grade uh, with my dear teacher, Mrs. Small, Mrs. Barbara Small, and all of my friends were joining, were joining band. So I also, I just had to do it. Um, And then in sixth grade, I think it was when it, when people started going to, you know, graduating on to bigger and better instruments. So somebody went on to the bass clarinet, mm-hmm. somebody went on to the saxophone, all the brass people went on to trombone and euphonium. Somebody took French horn. Somebody took the alto flute. So I was like, well, what the heck am I going to take ever? Like all the instruments are gone. Um, so we had this poster on the wall that was you know, all the instruments of the band or all the instruments of the orchestra. And I was just kind of looking around on that poster and I saw this thing and I was like, point that one. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know how big it was at that point? No, I had no idea. (laughs) And poor Mrs. Small looks at it and she's like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) she's like, just sleep on it. Little did she know that I slept on it. And the next day I went to, um, my brothers went to, they were in high school at the time and there was an army band. I don't remember which army band that was visiting. And we went to their concert that night and they had a bassoon quartet featured. Oh my God. I know. And I was like, mom, I think that's the instrument that I pointed at on the poster. And she's like, that? (laughs) (laughs) So we went down at the end of the concert and we went and talked to them and Glee, Jackie, that's when I realized how big it was. (laughs) (laughs) And you're little for the listeners who haven't met you. You're a little, little. I am right now in my thirties, five feet tall. So you can imagine little sixth grade Marissa, (laughs) maybe like four feet tall. Just like looking up at this bassoon at like the white ring on top. It's basically a tree. You're basically looking at a tree. Yes. And so, <laughs> so my mom was kind of like, are you sure? And the next day I went back to Mrs. Small and I said, I am sure that is the instrument <laughs> that I want to play. Um <clears throat> My parents didn't let me do it right away because one, um, my school didn't have one 
and the schools surrounding us didn't have one. And they also just bought me a red clarinet, like (laughs) this summer before. And they were just like, absolutely not, Missy. We literally just bought you a red clarinet that you begged for. (laughs) Um, So I had to wait a little bit. And then I think I started mid sixth grade or something. I have a really important question to follow up. What happened to the red clarinet? Yeah. (laughs) eBay? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's still in the family. (laughs) My little cousins, like each of them had to play it. I swear my parents. (laughs) They're like, we bought this thing. You're going to play it. Yes. Somebody's going to get our money's worth out of this thing. <laughs> so it's still, it's still here. I'm pretty sure my nieces like play around with it. And I try and Marissa's play... reject clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I wanted a red clarinet because somebody else had a blue clarinet and we wanted to like switch parts. So we had, Oh my God. Like, red and blue. Clarinets in band. <laughs> ridiculous. I know all aesthetics, right? Just like, oh, I want to play that bassoon on the poster. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I I ended up playing the bassoon. And um, I was self-taught for a couple of months. And I finally found a teacher um, about 45 minutes away from our house, found a bassoon. My parents were not happy. They were like, oh my God, the monthly cost of this thing is (laughs) as much as this clarinet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But look, it paid off. I think, I hope. I think so. Well, I would think so. Yeah. Cause there's a big difference between I'm in sixth grade and I do band for fun and I, this thing looks weird. Why don't I play it? And this is what I want to do for my profession. And how did, can we hear about like getting serious and kind of falling in love with the bassoon from that point? Yeah. Oh, it's, I love thinking about, thinking back on this because I never thought I was going to be a professional musician. Music has always been in our family. I actually started as a singer um, because my mom sings, both of my grandmothers or my grandma on my dad's side sings and my grandfather on my mom's side um, was a singer. And he always sang with, with all of us growing up. I took voice lessons. So for me, it was just always there. Um, And I grew up on like the diva as Aretha Franklin, uh, Winnie Houston, Celine Dion for all my Celine Dion fans out there. Um, (laughs) So music was, was always there. Um, my dad was a keyboardist in a, in a garage band and that's how my parents met actually was. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. She was a singer and he was the keyboardist in the garage band. So we were born out of music. Um, and so when I chose the bassoon, it was kind of just another, exactly what you said, Jackie, like a fun thing to do. And it was very social for me, um, when I started taking lessons, though, um, my private teacher, dear Karen Gale, I love her so much. And I owe so much to her because she was so supportive and so encouraging. Um, but I was such a stubborn little girl. I was like, no, I'm just doing this for fun and to get out of class because, (laughs) (laughs) because I was starting to go to like honor bands and honor orchestras, regional bands, and getting all these, and now I look back on it, like these amazing opportunities that I totally took for granted because to me, it was just like, okay, well, I get to leave school early to go to this master class that's 45 minutes away, or I have this, you know, honor band that starts on a Friday. So we have to leave on Thursday. And it was exciting for me because I got to meet so many new people. Um, But what I didn't realize was the people that I was meeting were enjoying and were focusing and excited about the same thing that I was excited about. And I didn't realize that I was excited about the music. I thought it was all this other external things like the traveling and the meeting people, but I think it all comes together and creates this 
kind of well-rounded experience. Um, so once I started doing those things in high school, a lot more, I started thinking more about schools and my parents were, you know, junior year of high school, like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? And I always thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, and I laughed because the reason why I decided not to be a doctor was when I took AP bio and completely failed. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a doctor. Just yeah, a kind of doctor. Sorry, exactly. mom. <laughs> a different kind of doctor, not a medical doctor. Um, but we can actually go more into that later. Um, but Yes. Yeah, so I failed AP bio and I thought it's probably not going to be a smart idea for me to be a doctor if I can't. It wouldn't be a responsible thing of me <laughs> to be a doctor if I cannot pass AP bio. Um, and it was really funny because Karen was like, you know, you could be a doctor and you can be a musician. There's a world doctor orchestra that's like four doctors and there's a doctor orchestra in Los Angeles. So she was so encouraging and kind of insistent on me to like continue playing the bassoon. And she's like, you have to go to Interlochen. And I was like, no, I don't because I'm going to miss my prom. (laughs) She just didn't get my priorities. And I really wish I had listened to her, but honestly, I was on my own journey. Um, And in that journey, so there are a couple kind of um, significant moments that led to me deciding to go to school for for bassoon. Um, I (laughs) actually, like in eighth grade, uh, Karen Gale told me to audition for the Music Academy of the West. I had no idea what the Music Academy of the West was, but she was like, it's, it's, you just, you, you got to send in a tape. And she knew I was already making tapes. And when I say tape, like, yes, cassette tapes yes, for my regional honor bands. Yes. And she's like, just make a tape for the Music Academy of the West too. And I was like, okay, fine. So before dinner one night, I make this tape for the Music Academy of the West. I, I address it to Santa Barbara and I send it in the mail the next day. And I did not know what this was until like junior year of college when Music Academy of the West was at Northwestern giving their auditions. And I was like, oh, that is what I sent my tape to in eighth grade. Like, I am so sorry, Mr. Cummins. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to listen to that, like, I had no idea. I never auditioned for Music Academy Less after that. <laughs> but I'm sure they had that cassette tape somewhere. That is adorable. So that was a significant sort of, like, embarrassing thing for me to experience. Um, well, she really believed in you. He really did she really did and I love her so much for it but um coming back to Music Academy of the West so sophomore year of high school my mom tricked me she was like all right we're going down to LA we're gonna look at some colleges and we're also gonna go to Disneyland I was like sweet we're going to Disneyland but we make a pit stop in Santa Barbara and I'm like this is not Disneyland and she's like we're gonna watch this master class like <laughs> what I thought we were going to Disneyland. So we watched this masterclass at the Music Academy of the West. They're usually open um, to the public. And there were four people that played. Um, they were all absolutely phenomenal. But there was one uh, woman who really stood out. And I was just so like, I've never heard a bassoon like that before. You know, I've only been in my band, which was my school band, I was the only bassoonist, and then my youth orchestra, and some regional and all state honor bands, and things like that. But I've never heard the bassoon at that level. And so I got the program, and I was flipping through it trying to find her bio. And I read that she was a student of Christopher Millard in British Columbia. And we were on this college trip to look for, you know, um, look for colleges, in Los Angeles and this in Southern California. And my mom was like, okay, or no. And then I was like, 
mom, I want to go to school in British Columbia with Christopher Millard. And she's like, okay, let's, you know, let's reel it in. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I, but I was so like, wow, I had never heard somebody sound like that. And I want to sound like her. So to me, it connecting the dots, like I need to go study with this person. Um, then the next year, I obviously forgot about it. The next year was my junior year of high school. I went to Nishmi, which was the National High School Music Institute um, at the at Northwestern University. And I chose that one because it was only five weeks and all of the um, all of the other summer festivals that Karen wanted me to go to was like 10 weeks. And I was like, oh, I can't give up my whole summer. I'll go You're to like, this I've one. got parties to go to. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Um, so like, I'll go to the five week one. It's fine. Um, and I went and I fell in love with the campus with Northwestern. I had family there, extended family. And again, it was just another level of musicianship that I had never experienced before. Um, and it, and then of course, on top of that meeting a bunch of people. So that sort of changed my perspective on things a little more, but I still wasn't completely sold until my senior year of high school. Um, it was the first time I had done honor orchestra, all state honor orchestra. And the conductor of that orchestra was Dr. Mallory Thompson, who was or, and still is the director of bands at Northwestern University. And after the concert, you know, I don't know if either of you have met her, but she's super eccentric and an amazing conductor. And she comes up to me and my parents, gives us um, big hugs. And she's like, she's got to go to Northwestern. And I'm like, what? Northwestern is like the, I was like, I went to Nishmi. I've been to Northwestern and she's like, great. You, you gotta come. Um, and she tells me that, and I, and you have to believe this, like, she's like, we have a new bassoon professor, Christopher Millard. He's been there, like not adjunct, but he's been there kind of transferring over um, and they were trying to get him there more full time. And so she was like, you have to come. He's going to be there, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was like, all of the stars are aligning. Mm-hmm. I have to, I have to go to Northwestern and I have to apply and study with this person and study with Dr. Thompson, who just gave this amazing, you know, weekend experience. <clears throat> we played the finale of track four. It was so scary. Mm. Um, <laughs> it was so, so scary. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I ended up going into music was a culmination of all these experiences and meeting the right people. Um, and Yeah. That's amazing. Funny story, though. I didn't get into Northwest. (laughs) I applied. Holy moly. Well, first, I took a, um, a trial lesson with Chris over... It was not Zoom back in the day. Oh my God. I had to like drive. Probably, right? Jackie, it wasn't even Skype. It was like, I had to drive down to Berkeley, California. And we lived just east of Sacramento. So it was like a two and a half hour drive into the Bay Area. And they had to like connect all these wires in this hall or like in this big lecture classroom. Oh man, I it was it's not dial up, but it was like dial up connected to uh-huh. <laughs> this thing with all these wires. It was crazy. And I completely bombed that trial lesson. The first thing he said to me after I played the Mildy um melodic etude was So do you have any other interests other than music? Wow. <laughs> 
It was, yeah, it was bad. Yeah, but we've all been there where it means so much to you mm-hmm. that you just put so much pressure on yourself that you just crumble. Like I have been there so many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's so devastating. It was. And I was like, oh God, that's so embarrassing. Like he's the person that I want to study with, but I decided to apply anyway. And I took a live audition and I was determined to just like change his mind. And, and luckily I did, um, because they were happy with my audition, but it was my grades that weren't, that didn't get me into Northwestern. I didn't have Ivy league grades. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was a good student. I just wasn't like, was that on ter- bio? it was that AP bio. That's and, right. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> not a good test taker. Like those scantrons, she's mm-hmm. Louise. So they they actually rejected me. Devastating. Yes. They gave they sent me a rejection <laughs> letter, um, and I freaked out and was emailing everybody that I needed to because you're you can't appeal rejection letters. Mm-hmm. And then I guess they sent me the wrong letter. Like, hello, get your get it together, people. You can't. Wait, they sent you hearts. the rejection letter, but it was not supposed to be a rejection. It was supposed to be a waitlist letter. Oh no. <laughs> so, I mean, better than no, because I was waitlisted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to think about like other places to go until if and when that waitlist comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, after that, like scholarship information, of course, mm-hmm. like I don't, I didn't know anything about that stuff. Um, <clears throat> but so I was actually set to go to, to Boston university, um, until the very last day they, they, um, contacted me and said, Hey, the wait list came through, um, a couple people decided not to come here. Uh, so do you want to come to Northwestern? <laughs> and it was, you know, as like an 17, 18 year old teenage girl, I was like, gosh, I don't, I don't even know anymore. Um, but I had a sit down talk with my parents and my teacher and I decided to go to Northwestern and that's, that's how I ended up. (laughs) It was a rocky road, but that's how I ended up there. That's a really cool story. Would you talk us through, uh, your professional journey and how you got to the University of Arizona? Sure. <clears throat> so again, not something that I expected to happen. Um, I didn't think I was going to be a teacher. Um, I actually had no idea what I wanted to do, even through my master's. I was, I was playing I was taking auditions. Um, I was going to summer music festivals like like my colleagues were doing. I was just doing what I thought I needed to do to get better as a as a player. Um, but I didn't just love music, you know, even as a even as a kid and growing up, I didn't just love music. I loved other things about it. I loved the people that you got to meet. I loved the places that I got to see. Um, and I was super organized about everything, especially in my college days. Um, like I would have Excel spreadsheets on all of the music festivals that I was going to apply to that summer. And then as I was, as I was approaching, um, graduating, all the grad schools that I was going to apply to, you know, all of the deadlines, recordings, repertoire, et cetera. Um, so I recognized that I was like an organized kind of type A person in that way. Um, and I liked planning things. So actually during my master's, I, I started doing, um, or started applying to like arts administration internships. Um, along with, uh, summer festivals, just to kind of dabble with other things or, um, 
you know, these things piqued my interest. And we also, um, I took a class at Yale university where I did my master's on, um, professional development and, and entrepreneurship with Asher Baumgartner. Um, so I was like, you know what, like, let's try something new. So I was applying to arts administration internships and, um, I got accepted to several of them, but kind of had to choose because I also got accepted into the Norfolk uh, Chamber Chamber Festival that summer too. And everything was kind of like conflicting with each other. So I had to curate this crazy summer of being an arts administrator at um, a music festival in Chestertown, Maryland. I'm, it's, it's escaping my brain, the name of it. So I did that at the beginning of summer and then I went to Norfolk afterwards and it was just straight from there. Mm-hmm. And so it was a nice kind of um, learning experience for me to spend half of my summer doing the arts admin side and then the other half still feeding into my performance career. And that really spoke to me in a way of like, mm-hmm. you can do more things. You can do actually a lot of things. And um This summer, I, after um, graduates, after my master's, um, my boyfriend at the time um, wanted to do like a tour. He played cello. He wanted to do a tour in Australia where he's from. And so I was the tour manager of, of that. And it was crazy. It was like six weeks of, uh, or was it six weeks? I don't even know. Maybe four weeks of itineraries and travel planning um, for a team of five people around a country I had never been to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was really testing my skills on sort of this like grassroots, but professional level. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And I learned a lot there. Um, and so during my doctorate degree, as I was approaching um, graduating, Uh, I was thinking, oh, shoot, like, (laughs) what am I going to do? I can still take orchestra auditions, but, you know, they're not going great. I'm not winning them. So seriously, like, what are you going to do for a job? Um, And there was this audition that came up in the city. So I did my um, I did my doctorate at Stony Brook out on Long Island. And so at the same time, I was freelancing in the tri-state area, um, which continued after my master's. Um, So this audition came up for um, Ensemble Connect. I think it's called uh, something different right now. I don't remember what it's called. But um, so I was like, this is a really, really great opportunity because it seems to be one of it seems to be a professional development program that is looking for not just an orchestral player, actually not an orchestral player at all, um, a chamber musician and uh, somebody that's going to go out into schools and have residencies at schools in the area at all levels. So, um, you know, pre pre college students, but also um, college students at a at schools that they kind of organized mm-hmm. for you. Um, so it seems like a really great fellowship and something that I had been sort of training for already through my internships and also education. Um, so I was like, Oh, this is, this is perfect. Like I'm going to try really, really hard. And it, it paid really well too. So, um, it doesn't had like, yeah, it doesn't hurt. It had a substantial, <laughs> especially when you're like trying to survive in yeah. the city. You're like, gosh, I really got to make some money. And I've never seen like those numbers before <laughs> as a bassoonist. So I was like, okay, let's, let's do this. I got into the finals and we got our, um, letters and I was rejected and oh. I was, torn just torn because it seemed like the perfect fit right yeah um and so I was just like well if this isn't it I don't know what I'm doing Mm -hmm. 
And I don't know how I'm going to survive in this city. So girl, what are you going to do? And this is what I did. I started looking up programs to be an esthetician. Oh, <laughs> yes. Cause I was like, what else do you like, Marissa? You like getting facials. Maybe you'll like giving <laughs> facials. In care. And yes. Yeah. Just yeah. like little bit of a freak out mode. Right. Yeah. Um, because, and yeah, because it was really, it was really like crushing. Yeah. Um, so I said, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't for me, maybe. So I was looking at everything. I was looking at esthetician school. I was looking at more arts administration jobs and just sending out my resume to anything that I found. Um, and then I was like, you know what, I'm in doctorate, you know, I'm in a doctoral program and I'm ABD right now. Why don't I go on higher eds jobs.com and see, I don't know. Usually there's nothing on there, but let's just see what they have. And this job popped up on there at the university of Arizona. And I was reading into it and it said it was not NTE. I'm like, Google, what's NTE? Um, Which is non-tenure eligible. And it was a one-year interim position. And I said, hmm, I don't know what a lot of those words mean. So I asked people that I knew and they explained it to me that you're there for a nine-month contract. All you do is teach. Um, and then after that, who you come back to New York and I was like, okay, that sounds pretty risky, but also I've got nothing to lose right now. Mm-hmm. So even if I just have to like sublet my apartment in New York, pack a suitcase and, uh, go to Arizona, Tucson, Arizona, then sure. So I hunkered down and created a CV because I didn't have a CV yet. I wrote a million drafts of a cover letter because I didn't have a cover letter for a higher ed job yet. And I contacted every single colleague that I knew that had any experience in, in higher ed teaching, um, applications. Um, and I put my materials together and just sent it in and practiced a lot for the recital practiced a lot for both of the interviews. And I got that one year position and it was perfect because of the situation that I was in at the time that I had nothing to lose. And I didn't have a job yet. So, and if I didn't stay, it would have just been, um, you know, a good experience for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, how I looked at it as, as an opportunity to learn, really mm-hmm. learn how to teach. <laughs> yeah. So now in your position permanently at the University yes. of Arizona, you get to engage it as a professor in creative activity. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the stuff you've been involved with. I would like to ask about the Arizona Wind Quintet, your faculty woodwind quintet. The five wind faculty um, play as the Arizona Wind Quintet. So that's myself, uh, uh, Jackie Glazier, Sarah Fraker, Brian Luce, and Johanna Lundy. Um, it's part of our load, um, which is really spectacular because we do get to play and be creative. Um, that's built in for us. Um, and the wind quintet has been around for a long time. Um, so I'm just, I'm filling in that, that spot. Uh, and yeah, we do, we do quite a bit. We have um, a faculty recital every semester. Um, and on top of that, we try to do 
a tour um, to tour the pieces and the programs that we have been have been working on, partly for recruiting, but also partly for just our own creative um, activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so recently, we've been working on um, just more diverse programming. Um, our most recent concert was in October. And actually it was the program that we were supposed to do in January of, uh, or in the spring of, of 2020, but of course it got canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was our celebrating our celebration of the passing of the 19th amendment. So we played a, a whole program of American female composers Um, and it was spectacular because it was also kind of, it was more, almost more lecture based than any of our previous recitals. Um, so, uh, actually Johanna Lundy did a, a, a big amount of that presentation, um, on the historical like background of, of all of the composers, um, and really drawing attention to, not just the composer's lives, but how it fit in with the voting rights of, of American women. Um, we partnered, originally partnered with the American League of Women Voters in, in Tucson, and we try to, to have partnerships wherever, wherever we can. Mm-hmm. Um, just to add another element to our performances. So it's right. not just a typical, you know, I'm going to go into the concert hall and pick up a program and sit down and listen to, mm-hmm. to notes. So it just adds another kind of element to it. Um, one of the programs we did before this one was um, all living Mexican composers. And that was inspired by um AWQ's visit to Mexico City and their residency at UNAM. Um, unfortunately, that was before I got there, so I didn't get to, to experience that. But I did get to experience playing a lot of the new music that they had introduced to, um, to my colleagues. So um, I love playing with my colleagues. We're all so different and we have different playing styles. So it's just a wonderful opportunity to get to learn from each other and um, playing in a chamber ensemble is hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but it's so, it's so rewarding. Um, and yeah. So. Another thing that you have been involved in speaking of new music is um, you've done a lot of commissioning and especially recent commissions by um, John Steinmetz and Aaron Houston. I want to hear about some of that, uh, those pieces and your experiences in commissioning and uh, yeah, talk to us about that. Sure. So my first experience with commissioning a piece on my own was a piece by Shui Ying Li. Um, and at the time I had a fellowship with the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. Um, and one of the new um, one of the new programs that they had that year was uh, to give a recital. And they they had a separate grant um, for us to curate that recital however we wanted. And so I wanted to incorporate um, commissioning a piece because I, I never had that experience one and I never had the funds to do that because it's expensive to commission a piece, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought she had been working with the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra as of recently at that time. And so I thought to to partner with her and see if she'd write me a piece. And, and she said, yes. And it was part of, um, an, uh, recital that also included commissioning of, um, light installations and uh, like light cool. graphics. Yeah. Um, so I was just really into, I think like new things, like how can I make this recital 
extra. Let's have lights and let's have a new piece and et cetera. So that was my first experience working um, with a composer to, to write a piece. And the piece is really beautiful. It's called After the Rain. Um, and it's a story about, um, well, it's, it's based off of her experiences as a new mother and specifically postpartum um, depression. Um, so I felt very um, honored to be a part of expressing that for her mm-hmm. um, and to be part of creating something new that is so personal at that very moment, or, you know, could potentially be very personal at that very moment mm-hmm. was, um, it meant something to me. Like, right. wow, I could, yeah, I could be part of, I could be part of this somehow and contribute to it somehow. Um, even if it's just the expressive end of it. Um, and so, yeah, I just, the, any opportunity I get to commission a piece, I'll, I'll at least look into it. And, um, if it's something that I find is within my capabilities at the moment, because of course I want to give it my all, Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, our values align and what my values are at that moment as well. Um, then, then yeah, like I definitely want to be part of, of that project. So I was part of the consortium to, um, to commission a new concerto by John Steinmetz. And one, I said, yes, because I love John Steinmetz. I think he's an incredible person, Mm -hmm. um, with amazing values. Um, I remember when I first met him, I don't think he remembers it, but I was taking a lesson with him in his beautiful home in Pasadena and he was so kind and generous and, and he wasn't like super strict, which I really liked as a Mm teacher, you know, to have that as a teacher, Um, and so I just, I remember getting to know him from afar too, like just listening to his music, um, and this opportunity to be a part of him writing a piece and having my name next to his and, and, and being able to express his music the way I would like, I want to, without hearing somebody else do it first kind of thing. That's part of the the commissioning um, portion is if it's a consortium, you know, you might hear it from one or two other people, but you are part of that kind of creation of even what it might first sound like. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot of pressure, but creatively it's amazing. Mm -hmm. There's, there's really nothing like it. It's difficult, yes, but it's <laughs> it's amazing and again, like worthwhile. Um, and so I that consortium also it was um, a concerto, um, and in his initial uh, description of it, he wanted it to be accessible to a lot of different players at different levels, um, but still be a substantial piece of music. Um, I think musically and expressively. And that really um, spoke to me because I, you know, now I teach students at different levels. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a research one university. A lot of my students are minors or a lot of my students are double majors and maybe don't have the time to dig into really, really, really tough, tough music, I suppose. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but to have a piece, a concerto that is substantial and, um, and accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I definitely wanted to be, to be a part of that. Would you be willing to share any favorite memories from a past performance? Yes. Oh, I have so many good memories. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because music's amazing and you just only have good memories. Um, I have a couple. Honestly, 
One of the most recent projects that I was so lucky to be part of um, was um, my colleague's interdisciplinary concert um, called Tree Ring Listening. Mm. Um, Sarah Fraker is really interested in um, music and, and she's the oboe professor here, music and climate change. And she worked with our world-renowned tree ring research laboratory. Um, and she commissioned a piece by Lachlan Skipworth in Australia, uh, who wrote a piece for Reed Trio and electronics using data um, from gathered by the researchers at the tree ring lab. And it's a fabulous, fabulous piece. Um, I think a lot of people will, will want to, will want to play it because it incorporates electronics. Um, and it has this, um, very emotional, um, message to it. Um, and so we cure, she curated this concert that included other works for, for, um, Reed Trio. And, um, one of the scientists of the, of the lab also, incorporated spoken word. Um, and so it was just this like magical recital. It was short. I mean, it was only 45 minutes, 40, 45 minutes. Um, but the whole environment of it and the message that was coming across and just being like a bassoonist that wasn't, you know, it wasn't about me and it wasn't about the retrio. It was about, the music expressing what these scientists are, are, are researching and what we need to do as a society to, to save this planet. Um, (laughs) And one of um, the researchers came up to us afterwards and she said, I don't, you know, I've never experienced anything like this. The music obviously was so beautiful, but the way you guys play and communicate with each other and the way you have a relationship with each of your wooden instruments is the way that I look at the trees that I see every day. And then I research every day. And it was like one of the best compliments that I've ever heard. Cause it's like, you know, we do like maybe from an outsider's perspective, we do completely different things, Mm -hmm. but they're not so different. Like the passion that we all have for the thing that we're, that we believe in and that we're researching and that we're putting our hearts into um, is the same level. And that same, like, that's what connects, connects us. Um, so that was a really special experience and, and special memory. And I'm, it was like just yesterday, which is really cool. (laughs) (laughs) What advice do you have for a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours? I would say perseverance, have, have perseverance. I mean, I was going to go to be an esthetician and look, if I did, I'm sure, you know, it would, it would be fine. And I would enjoy my life if that's what I wanted to do. So if you have an idea of what you want to do, even the slightest idea of what you might want to do. And usually it comes from this simple fact that you enjoy doing it Mm -hmm. and it gives you warm feelings (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you, you like doing it and you want to spend time doing it. If, if for some reason, like the dots aren't aligning right now, it's okay. Because I am a firm believer that things do fall into place when at, at a point, at a certain point, um, if you work hard and if you persevere through, through the many challenges that we're going to have, um, regardless of what path you take, there's always going to be challenges. Mm -hmm. And I, 
always try to remind myself of that. Like, oh, even if I didn't do music and I went into something else, heck yeah, there's going to be challenges. And if I succumb to them and, you know, try to find something else all the time, maybe, maybe I'm missing out. So just, yeah, if you can like persevere. Marissa Oligario, we are so grateful that you generously gave us an hour of your time. Thank you so much for joining us on Double Read Dish. Oh, thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed that interview. We know you did. If you want to not miss out on any of our announcements or upcoming double read days, you can (laughs) uh, follow us on social media. And please don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. We appreciate it. Galit, who do we have coming up on the next episode? We are talking to Jared Hauser, Associate Professor of Oboe at Vanderbilt University, and we're so excited to share that one with you. For now, we got to end this nerd parade, Jackie. Go make reads.